Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Today is Carry Sunday and for those who don't know us, um, this is just a reminder, Carry Sunday is a Sunday when we come together as a church and we pray and we present ourselves to God for God to move his power in our lives, okay? Um, if you read the book of James, chapter 5, um, if you read the book of James, chapter 5, Apostle, Apostle um, James, the Lord's brother and the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, was explaining to the church how they should conduct themselves. He said, is anyone among you in trouble? Do you see that? If anyone among, is anyone among you in what? Trouble. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. We are a solar scriptural church. We believe we hold the Bible. We're a Bible-centered church. We're a solar scriptural church. We hold the Bible high and primate above every other tradition. We consider it the highest tradition and the revelation of God to us. It is inerrant. Therefore, when we see things that Lord's apostles and prophets say to us, we take them very seriously. Hallelujah. So, Carry Sunday is an opportunity, is a, is a time that we have stipulated because because we're a church that is solar scripture and we're very, um, we're very schol um, scholastic, there's a tendency that we can teach a whole year without having time to practice certain things that the apostles ask us to do. Do you understand that? So that's why we have mandated, we have organized a structure whereby we'll be intentional to make sure that we don't forget certain things. And so there should be a time that the children of God, those that are in trouble, those that are in sick, those that want to rejoice, there should be a time when you'll be presented, where you present yourself in the local church and the elders will pray. So we'll pray together and the elders will pray for those who have all kinds of issues. So if you are in trouble, you came to church on the right day. Do you understand that? If you have any trouble in your life, you came to church on the right day. Okay? Um, um, if anybody is sick, if anybody has any kind of issue, you came to church on the right day. So that's why we do it. So we call it Carry Sunday. Carries just means grace, the supply of the grace of God. Hallelujah. So, and, it's, and we usually do it at the, the Sunday after a week. And the reason why we do it at the Sunday after a week because because a week is a month where we, have, where we have stirred ourselves up and it's a month of emphasis, it is good to take advantage of that to do this. Hallelujah. And we believe very strongly that Lord will always make, Lord will always bless us through these meetings. Praise God. Do you understand that now? That's what Carries Sunday is about. All right, so I want to preach very briefly. I want to encourage you and preach very briefly about something, God's character. And I titled it, God is good. God is good. God is good. And I want to teach it um, in a more practical slant this morning. And I believe that the Lord will help you, that if the Lord will help you give you understanding so that your love and your faith in the Lord, your love for the Lord, your understanding of the love of God and your faith in him thereby will be deepened and be strengthened in the name of Jesus. 
this exhortation will help you to prepare yourself so that also as we are praying, you can pray appropriately and you can have the right kind of expectations because there's a right kind of expectation. There's a right kind of expectation. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, temptation is... Just follow me. The more I... If you follow me, the more I speak, the more certain things will make sense to you, all right? So just follow me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Now, temptation is an evil, so to speak, in a sense. Temptation is an evil, so to speak, in a sense. Because temptation is that which is supposed to push people to fall. Temptation is something that is pushing people in the direction. The purpose of temptation is normally, in a sense, supposed to push people into evil. Supposed to push people outside of God's plan for their lives. Supposed to push people into what is um, what God does not want for them. So God will not look at you and he who created you for his purpose and for his pleasure will not also deliberately try to push you away from it. So when a man is tempted, nobody should say God is the one that is tempting him. No. No, God cannot be tempted by evil. That means that God does not have inside of him. And this is the reason why he cannot tempt. When the Lord came on the earth, he said the prince of this world came and he found nothing inside of me. For temptation to work, there must be some kind of concupiscence inside of you. That means there must be some kind of evil inclination. There must be some kind of evil nature. There must be some kind of evil desire inside of you that temptation can work on. If you don't have a, an evil desire, you there is no temptation. You cannot have a temptation. Do you understand that? For example, pardon my example, but that's the one that's coming to mind now, right? Um, if someone who is a normal person with the right um, you know, sexual inclinations, if someone that is a homosexual comes to you and is performing around you, you will not consider it a temptation. There's no temptation there. Why? Because the concupiscence for that kind of lust is not inside you. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? <laughs> if you are someone that has lots of money and you don't lack for anything, and someone that comes to tempt you with something that you can afford, right? Or except you are, it's not, that's not really a good example because some people are still not okay, they are kleptomanic, but the point is that if you don't desire that thing, that thing cannot come, that cannot be a temptation for you. Do you understand that? Church, do you understand that? Do you get that? So he now says, verse 14, but each person, in I've already even explained the verse before getting there, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So this is the reason why God himself cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. The reason why he cannot be tempted by evil is that he is good and there's no evil inside of him. So there's no temptation that can attract God. God is all good. He is omnibenevolent. That means he is all good. He is goodness. He is holiness. There is no evil inside of him and that's the reason why God cannot be tempted. Do you understand that? Church, do you understand that? So because God cannot be tempted, in the same way, he does not tempt anyone because he does not have any inclination of evil inside of him. He does not have anything to gain by trying to push you away from his plan for your life. But when a temptation comes, where the temptation comes from is from your own evil desire, like I said. 
an evil concupiscence uh, working inside of you, an, an evil desire, an evil inclination that is inside of you, that that temptation works on. Then after, verse 15 now says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So when you have that desire and you consummate that desire, that means you act on that desire. When you act on that desire, what will come out of it will now be sin. And sin, when it is fully mature, that means that when sin has its full outworking, it leads to death. That's something that Pastor Shaye said on Wednesday that, you know, we've talked about in church and I love the way he re-echoed it again. Is that it is not up to you to talk about how, it is not up to you to determine how bad your sin is. Because sin fully matured leads to death. Sin fully matured leads to death. So the natural end of sin, the telos of sin, the natural end of sin is death. So that means that when you are doing something that does not look like a big deal to you, God is telling you that that thing you are doing leads to death. So the fact that it does not look like a big deal to you, it is still in its infant stage, it looks small to you, does not change the fact that the natural end of your sin is what? Death. Verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. He says, all good and perfect gifts come from the Father of the heavenly lights and he does not change. He does not have shifting, he does not change like shifting shadows. That means that God's disposition, God's nature is consistent. It does not change. God's nature is consistent. It does not change. Who the Lord is, the kind of heart that he has, does not change. God is consistent and God always acts consistently with his nature. God always acts consistently with his nature. So there's no time that God will do something that is different from the kind of person that he is. So if God is essentially good, if God is the good, if God is the good, if God is goodness, if God is the embodiment of goodness, it means that everything that he does is good. Do you understand that? So did you get me? Because God is good by nature, everything that he does is also what? Good. God does not do good because he feels it is better to do good. God does not do good because some things are good in themselves. Those things are good in themselves, therefore God wants to do them. This is very important for you to understand. You must understand this very well. Because they, this, this is an age-old question that they, they even ask Aristotle and everything. They say, why is something good? Is something good because God said it is good? Or is it good because it is good in itself? And when atheists ask this question, they think they are smart. And they're trying to set leg for a Christian so they can catch you. Because if you say that those things are good in themselves, then you say we don't need God to know them. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? And if you say those things are good because God said so, then you will say that God is just doing what he likes and all of us must fall. So even when he does something evil, just because he did it, we say it's good. Listen to me. I'm not telling you this morning that just because God is God, anything he does is good. So even if he does something bad, we don't have a choice but to call it good. Do you understand what I just said now? You didn't understand. Let me say it. We are not saying that what God does is good 
just because God is big and is almighty. And whenever he does something, we must agree that that thing is good. That's not why we are saying it. We are saying it because God is actually good and he only does good things. Do you understand what I just said now? We are not saying that even when God does something evil, we have to agree because he is good. We don't have a choice. That's not what we are saying. We are saying that whenever God does something, that thing that he does is always good in itself. Objectively, when you sit back and look at it, you will find that that thing is good and it coheres or aligns with the kind of person that he is. That's why I said every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly light who does not change like shifting shadows. So that means that there will never be a time that you will see something that God has done and you look at that thing and say, ah, this thing is not good. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Do you understand? So God cannot deny himself. First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. Sorry, I said first. Second Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 11. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Here is a trustworthy saying. Here is a saying that you can say over and over again. Here is a saying that you can trust. You can quote it. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Hallelujah. If we died with him, we will also live with him. This is the reason why when a believer dies, even in painful circumstances, it is not an evil. It is not an evil because a believer that died with him will surely live again with him. This is how we know that we will live again. The one who died and rose again said that we will live with him again. So if he rose again, we can trust him to say when he tells us that if we die with him, we will rise again. Hallelujah. Listen to me, folks. If someone kills a believer in persecution or because of any kind of evil or mishap, ultimately the person has done that person a favor. Do you know that? Did you know that? He says, if we endure, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he, or he will also disown us. That means that the person, the only thing that can rob us of what he offers us is if we step back from him, if we don't present ourselves to him. So if we disown him, he will disown us. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That means that his own behavior and his own predisposition is the same. He's acting the same. You are the one that can be faithless. God will not look at your face and say, because you are misbehaving, him too, he will misbehave. You know that thing that can happen in marriage sometimes, that because someone, your, your, your spouse or your friend, did something to you, you too, you want to do your own back. God does not do his own back. You are too small. So even when you remain faithless, he remains faithful. That means what he has offered is always there. Who he is is always the same. You are the one that can cut yourself away from him. You are the one that can cut yourself away from him. But there will never be a time that you come to him and say, God, that thing that you said you would do, that thing that you promised, that, that who you are, I want to enter it and you say, no, it's not for you. you what you did last yesterday, I did not like it. I'm not giving you again. You know that thing, we do that thing sometimes. You know, you know that, that thing sometimes, where maybe you have something with someone and you have a debate, you now say, 
um, please give me this and say, no, I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you. And then you're now vexed. You're now vexed. When the person now comes back to say, oh, yeah, give me. Say, I'm not even giving you again. I'm not giving you again. God doesn't do that. He cannot deny himself. Hallelujah. So Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. From verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And this is my desire for every one of you today. Now says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul is describing something here with so many words, so poignant, so powerful. I just pray that as, you, as I was reading it, you were able to follow it. Paul was saying that there is a state of affairs in a believer's life where Christ is fully formed in you. And the way Christ dwells in you is through faith. That means that you believe in God. You trust God. There is a state of affairs where a person can be rooted and established in love. What that means is, can I explain what that means? It means that you may have power. So the power of a believer is when you are rooted and established in the love of God. You understand the love of God. So that you may, with all of God's people, you might be able to understand how big the love of God is. So you may be able to understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of God is. So what he's saying is this, that there's a state of affairs as you as a believer. There's a place a believer can be where you can trust God, where your faith is in God. Your faith is not in your works or how many times I have prayed last week or how well I have fasted or how consistent I held my confessions. I've been confessing this thing for five years and that's not what your faith is in. Your faith is in God. You understand the love of God so you are established. It gives you power. It gives you might. It establishes you because, and the reason why it is important is this. This love is a kind of love that surpasses knowledge. That means that when you look at the physical sometimes, if you look at the way things are in the natural world sometimes, it will be difficult for you to understand why what you are going through is the love of God. Human knowledge, human epistemology, all that human beings know, that means the way human beings know things is by looking at the physical world and perceiving physical things with their senses and then they put it together with their reason and that's how they know. Is there anything that you know now that you did not learn physically? Is there anything that you know that you did not learn physically? No! Everything that you know, every knowledge that you have is because you read it somewhere. It's because someone told you. It's because you observed it. So that is when human knowledge comes from. But there is a knowledge. But look at, because God is bigger than us 
and God's ways are above our ways. It means that there are some times that God is working in our life that it supersedes, it is supernatural, it supersedes what is obtainable based on our physical eyes. We are like, um, you know animals, there are some animals that can't see that the only color they can see is in green, shades of green, do you know that? There are some animals that they only see in green. Some animals they only see in black and white. If you ask those animals, do you know the truth? They'll say yes. What is the color of this one? Deep black. What is the color of this one? Lighter black. What is the color of this one? Gray. What is the color of this one? White. Is this yellow? They'll say no. And they are sure because that is what the range of their senses has been created for. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? But there is a level of color that that surpasses the knowledge of that kind of animal. There's a level of knowledge of colors that surpasses the knowledge of that animal. And because these things are qualia, these things are known in the mind and cannot be communicated, if you try to explain color yellow to an owl, problem. If you try to explain color purple to a lion that sees in only colors of green, problem. You say there's something called purple. It is not green. No, this is deep green. This is light green. No, it is not green. It is a deeper color. You cannot understand. Because that knowledge passes him. That understanding passes its what? Knowledge. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So actually, there's a way God's love can be working in your life that it surpasses your knowledge. There's a way God's love can be at work in your life that it surpasses your understanding. Sometimes God is doing some things in your life, but because you are going through pain, you'll be saying, God, where are you? And God is there, but you don't know. You cannot see. That's why verse 20 now says, Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, or what? Imagine. He is able to do exceedingly, immeasurably, more than what you can ask or what? Imagine. Because all your imagination is based on what you have seen in the physical world. That's why, you know, Christians used to say he works in mysterious ways. And they to laugh at us and say, can you come? And it's probable that that saying has been abused. But that saying is true. That saying might have been abused. But that saying is true. Indeed, his ways are past finding out. Indeed, his ways are higher than our ways. Indeed, nobody can question him. No, his ways, his paths are past finding out. The Lord is doing things in your life that you don't understand. When you begin to try to articulate it, you begin to see all kinds of things. The only time that you will now know is when you look back after everything. When you look back after everything, and you see everything that God has done, you now say, ah, I can see it now. I can see it now. I can see it now. So when I was going through this thing, God was the one directing me. If not because I went through this bad situation, I won't be this today. How many people have those kind of stories? How many people can understand what I'm saying? If not because I made this mistake, God would have done this in my life. If not because I went through this heartbreak, my head would have not been correct. If not because I went through this, I won't have been that. If not because my parents were poor, I won't know this. If not because of this and all that, all those things in retrospect, you now start looking and say, ah, God was working. In that moment, what God was doing passed surpassed your knowledge. You could not understand it. 
Folks, I get what I'm saying to you. This is why we know that God does only good things. Even when you don't understand it. God does exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or what? Think. Even when it doesn't feel like it, what God is working in you is something greater than what you expect. You might not be able to calculate it, but God is working something in you greater than what you believe, what you expect, what you understand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we know the story. It's a, it's a common example because it's a very poignant example that helps to bring things to mind and bring things for, so people can understand. Hi, my time's up. So people can understand. Listen, folks. Paul was in danger of pride coming into him. And the Bible tells us that the Lord will pull down the proud. He says pride goes before his fall. He said he, he takes the proud from their high places and casts them down into Hades. There was a scenario where Paul could have been carried with pride and God would have brought him down. A, a turn now was not sent to him from Satan. And God did not remove it. He said, why? Because I want to keep you humble. Someone have looked at that and said, God, you are good. Why would you let a turn of Satan, a, a turn in the flesh, do this to Satan, um, to Paul? Paul said, so that I will be humble. And I will not be cast in pride beyond measure. Because the end of my pride is worse than something tormenting me. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? So when God was giving him strength in his weakness, that though the thorn was tormenting him, he was supplying grace to live above it, but he was constantly reminded to be humble. God was doing a good thing for him because the alternative was his destruction. So I just said to you now. Sometimes, and that's why Paul was saying something here, so that you can have, God, Christ can dwell in your hands because you believe in God. Folks, this is real faith. I know many of you have been taught when you were small that faith is about getting what you want. I want you to understand something. This is Christian faith. Christian faith is to believe in God. It is not to believe for what you want. Christian faith is to believe in God. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'll close now. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Oh, glory to Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. For we know. Why do we know? Because we have good reason to trust in his character. This is what we know. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you love God? Are you a child of God? Are you part of the elect? In all things. In how many things? In how many things? In all things, your good father, your good God, is working things for your good. Even if it doesn't feel like it. That means you are never in the wrong place. You are not in the wrong situation. Satan has, can never win in your life. Your enemies can never win. Your enemies can never win. There's no situation. Even your own mistakes cannot win. Because in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, 
that he might be the first one among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? When we've considered all these things, what shall we say? If God is for us, who can be what? Come on, church, are you reading it? If God is for us, who can be where? He says, he who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will it not also along with him graciously give, give us all things? And so that's why we're going to pray today. God is not agnostic on, many, on any matter. In all things, he's working your good. He will give us all things. So there's no matter that we do not pray about. There's no matter we do not bring before the elders to pray. He says, who will bring any charge against, God, against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life? He's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hallelujah. Jesus is interceding for us. There is no matter in our life that is not covered. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What will separate us? It is written, for your sake we face death all day. Ah, there are some times that we're actually facing death in this Christian work. <laughs> and sometimes we're actually facing death and persecution and famine and hunger. He says we are, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Pastor Tissel now says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Believing in the love of God, believing in God's goodness is what will keep you. God is not good because things are going the way you want. God is good because he's working out your good even when you don't understand. Do you understand what I just said now? You didn't hear me, let me say it again. God is not good because things are going the way you want. God is not good because things are going the way you prefer. It is a heresy to equate the grace of God and the goodness of God with getting what you have confessed for a long time. It is an evil. By the grace of God, that doctrine will die in this country. God is good because he's working out your good. God is going to do a work in your life that even though it doesn't make sense now, you will look back and see the power of God. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, nothing in this creation, nothing that is existing, will be able to separate us from the love of God. There's no problem in my life that will make me stop loving God because I believe in God's goodness and I trust him. That's why in Romans chapter, chapter 12, <clears throat> If you check from chapter 12, it says something very interesting. For verse 11, it says, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. No matter the situation, our fervor, our joy is hot. It says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Hallelujah. Praise God. So when things are not going our way, we have desires. We'll bring it before the Lord. We'll present it before the Lord. We'll, we'll be patient in affliction. That means that thing is not going right. We'll present it to the Lord. And we'll keep praying. Faithful in prayer. Patient in affliction. Because our faith is in God. If our God was not sovereign, if he was not all-powerful, he was not all-good, there would be no point praying. 
That is the reason why we are praying. Because we know nobody is stronger than him that can turn back his hand. We also know that he is good and he will not do evil towards us. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Joy M. What's the last one? Faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. So that's what we're doing this morning. This morning we're going to sing hymns in joy that our God is good. We'll not let anything that's happening around us prevent us from, that will kill our joy. We'll sing those hymns knowing that God is good. Knowing that God is powerful. Knowing that God has our best interest in heart. And we will pray. We will pray. We will pray. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to do something now. Oh, our Father and God, the one from whom all the families of the earth will derive their name, we pray together as a church this morning. Father, supply your grace to your people in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your faith be fully formed in their hearts till you dwell richly in their hearts in the name of Jesus. Lord, let that your love that passes knowledge, let it suffuse their hearts. Let it envelope their hearts. Cause everyone to know that love in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray concerning all the things that your people have brought before you. All the things that your people have brought before you. Everyone who is in trouble, Lord, deliver. Everyone who is in any kind of trouble, Lord, deliver. Anyone who has any kind of sickness, Lord, heal. Lord, anyone who is in any kind of sickness, Lord, heal. Anyone who is in any kind of sorrow, Lord, supply your joy. Anyone who is in any kind of sorrow, supply your joy. Lord, we ask by your power that the works of Satan are destroyed in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that the head of the serpent in the life of anyone crush it under their feet shortly, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Wherever the devil has raised his head, wherever that serpent, that angel serpent has raised his head in their lives, wherever demons are working, Lord, crush their head in the name of Jesus and deliver your people, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your power be strong in the lives of your people. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Father, we bless your name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.